welcome to episode 12 of the Education Marketer Podcast. I'm Kyle Campbell, and today, courtesy of the Higher Ed Demand Gen Podcast, I speak with Shiro Hattori. We discuss opportunities for higher ed in the creator economy and how universities can use content marketing to build their own private routes to market. This episode is sponsored by Contra Agency, a higher ed web design and digital marketing agency that drives applications and builds community. Let's get on with the show. The word creator, it's, it's, it's more the sort of next step of where influencer culture is, is going. So we started out probably around 10 years ago now, maybe a little bit longer, talking about influencers. And these are people who build up uh, huge, huge followings and then tend to monetize based on, on mass audiences, mass undifferentiated audiences. Mm. Now in, in social media, it's this pivot towards the, the creator who tends to have a much smaller audience, much niche, niche audience, but they have higher engagement. So it's, and there's more of them as well. So it may be the case that you couldn't have many influences in the world, but uh, with the huge variety of digital tools available now and you know, social media platforms pivoting to discovery and having all these programs available for creators, there's just a whole lot more opportunity for, for people to build digital businesses by creating and monetizing their digital content. So for the universities and higher ed specifically, there's, there's a few different ways that that comes to the fore. And, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit more in detail in a bit, but essentially it's working with student creators, um, publishing on, on their accounts, building partnerships with uh, young creative talent and um, on getting our brand in front of people in, in different ways that we, we haven't really used in the past. Got it. And I liked your uh, definition for a creator, how it's a little more niche, um, targeted audience. Is is there one thing I'm seeing is also like, I'm, I'm kind of thinking from an Instagram perspective, but like an influencer, someone that has a huge following, but maybe not, isn't like good at producing content. And like the way I see a creator now is like, they're also not only good at creating a following, a niche following, like you said, but also like creating content, de developing stories and uh, doing things a little bit differently than what I would consider an influencer. What are your thoughts on that? A creator tends to be known for one thing or a topic or, or a theme. Um, mm -hmm. And they become very adept and like an expert in that, in that area or an entertainer in that area. Um, uh, Joe Polizzi, who is someone I pay a lot of attention to, you know, really great inspiration to me. He calls it like a content tilt. And it's that thing that makes your, your content remarkable, different and stand out. And, you know, there's lots of people who identify like an audience needs and then meet that with a, with a piece of content, but there's very few people who make that, that special and, and remarkable. And for a lot of creators, yes, it's people who understand their, their audience. They, they stick to their niche. They, they niche down very far. And, you know, you could argue that I, I come into this kind of bracket as a, as a creator, my, my business is a content first business. I, I create for, um, education marketers working in higher ed. I mean, that's pretty niche and it's the same for other creators as well. They'll have their swim lane and they get known for that and they get good at that. And, you know, that's how they can build uh, business relationships because they have this great understanding of audience and, uh, and that's what brands want, isn't it? They want access to these, these highly differentiated audiences and, and audiences that have high engagement rates and creators are almost a passport to that. 
I think the first time I actually came across your profile and how I linked up with you was you made a, a post in the higher education hashtag in LinkedIn around creators. And I was like, oh, this guy's got a good perspective. But you were talking specifically around Twitch, which yeah, I was like, okay, this is another step on top of it. Can you explain a little bit more about Twitch and why there's might be opportunities in higher ed uh, to utilize this channel? Well, this this is it, and you know, I'll, I'll back up a little bit just to say why I was I was coming from with this this perspective. In the UK, we have main social media channels for universities, and then often we have a a whole range of sub social media channels, usually for an academic school or, or something like that. In the past, these channels have largely reflected the structure of the, of the university, right? And this comes from the basis of communications being around command and control. What I see now with, with some universities is they build social media channels around um, subject specifics uh, or niches that they want to be known for. And this is how I came across Twitch and how Full Sail University uses Twitch. So Twitch is kind of like YouTube, but it's built around live streaming. Um, it's a little more crazy than YouTube. Uh, you just have to go onto the average stream and it feels like everything's hitting you at once. It's, it's overstimulating is, is the best way I can describe it. But what Full Sail have done, because Twitch is like a platform primarily for, for gaming, it has other areas in there as well, but it's mainly a place where gamers stream. And Full Sail is a university that's known for um, uh, gaming courses, it's known for esports and all that area. It's built this channel. It's got 15,000 followers. It streams regularly. Um, you get to see their students in competitive matches. And the thing that really sealed it for me was that they, they also run like a weekly um, education show for people trying to get into esports. And that's for everyone. It's not just for people at the uni. It's for everyone potentially interested. And this is a great media and, and content marketing play. Because you're, you're literally giving this, this young audience the education to get started and the people delivering that content, the actual course leader um, for that program is a gamer and he is a streamer as well. So you, you see this kind of beautiful, well, for me, it's like, because this is the job I do, I, I try and look for stuff like this with universities creating these unique experiences. And I've never seen anything quite like that before. I'm sure there's other examples, but... I'm so used to social media channels being focused around schools and, and functions rather than the, the subject area. And if you want to have a look at this, please do. It's all mm -hmm. uh, Sell University's Twitch channel. It's highly engaging. And I just think media plays like that for universities are going to be a massive unlock in the future. Yeah. And it, this might be a loaded question, but like, what what is the value of creating unique experiences? What is the, the purpose or the value of that from a, a business perspective? for institutions? There's, there's a few ways I you know, I think about this. Firstly, it's it, it's a question of audience growth, other than kind of you know, a, approaching um, uh, a potential, you know, gaming student through your traditional kind of campaign mechanisms or ads and things like that. You don't have any relationship with them. You haven't built up like um, a consistent uh, relationship via the, the, the valuable content you produce over time. Um, it, the, the kind of alternative is that you do invest in like building media properties, you build the audience first, and then they come to you when they're, they're ready to buy. And I'm sure this process takes a lot longer, but the lead quality you get uh, via that channel uh, is far greater than the kind of average stuff you get through just running a campaign 
I just feel there's so much more, so much more value for universities, especially because they have all these kind of niche subject areas and all this knowledge that they can mm-hmm. build these things. They can build publications. They can have content marketing initiatives running, and they have the authority and the thought leaders, literally corridors of them, you know, almost ready to contribute and to build those, those relationships. So, you know, for me, it's like kind of building your own route to market rather than going out to all these kind of social platforms and you know, running your ads, paying the fee to, to reach people. You can build that audience for your for yourself that you alone own um, over time. I've always felt that in in higher ed, we have a almost like an unfair advantage with, with content marketing because I know in the past when I've got into like private organizations, the first thing I, nor- I normally need to do with content marketing is mine the knowledge out of people's heads, like in sales team or, or various other places where it's it's kind of stored. But in higher ed, like the, the content's already nicely organized. It's in courses, it's in programs. You just kind of repurpose it for, for channels. And that's the, that's the unlock for me. And, you know, often the, a demand gen strategy in a higher ed context is, is built around the art of repurposing. I mean, think about all the great stuff that happens during open houses and, you know, academics um, speaking about subject areas. Usually that stuff just happens on one day and it's not captured, it's not reused. And at best, it's probably uploaded in one single video file. Imagine if you actually repurposed it, cut it down into five minute videos, added context in social media, but no one does it or very few people do it. And I just think the opportunity is, is just there for the taking if a university gets their head around this stuff. I love it. I mean, you're taking the thing that you're best at doing, which is the education and packaging in into your content marketing and demand generation strategy. Do you do you see like, you know, with more traditional institutions that academia and marketing departments, whether that's admissions, enrollment, do they do you see them usually not working together? And is that what makes it difficult? I see some people doing it, but it's definitely not common practice. And the irony is some universities, some of the the greatest universities in, in the US, like MIT and, and Harvard Business School, they know how to do content marketing. I mean, look at um, MIT Technology Review, separate media property, but it's basically an advert for MIT research, right? Um, but it's highly engaging. It's a brilliant publication and it's revenue generating for the institution too. So the, the knowledge in how to have media properties and, and do content marketing within higher ed is, is already happening. It, it just doesn't happen at, at scale and, and across uh, most institutions. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm always like wondering why the UK doesn't have something equivalent to MIT technology review. Um, it, I can't think of anything that's quite as prestigious or as, as focused as that publication and or distributed as, as far and wide as that is. But I would have felt like a publication that focuses on research and highlighting the, the themes and topics of interest in institution. Um, it's a relatively common thing that a, a university could do. <laughs> yeah, you know, typically you'll see like the news section and websites and things, but it's never the same. A huge uh, potential there for, for universities to highlight the research they do, but do it in a way that talks about the themes and the topics and makes it more accessible mm-hmm. to the public audience. We're moving beyond press releases here. Interesting. So, you know, what I'm hearing is you're create, basically creating like a, what we used to call an editorial or building an audience, which is partly what I'm trying to do here with the podcast as well. And so the focus is, you know, you're trying to 
own your own channel is is kind of what I'm hearing, right? I think you're right. You don't necessarily have to own your own channel. I mean, when we talk about repurposing strategies and and cutting up video, you're building your your presence in in um, in, in native channels, aren't you? And you know, you, you run the risk with those. You you want to get your exposure and you want to get your reach, but you want to make sure that you have another um, owned channel offering. I mean, for, for my business, I have a newsletter, which is a common way for, um, you know, collect email subscribers. I have access to those people. I can communicate at any time. And I, and I partner that with my, my content creation in, in LinkedIn. And I'm just one business, but, you know, you can't really equate what I do to uh, like a university, but you can equate it to like a certain function or a subject area in a university. I talk mm -hmm. about marketing. There's, there's no reason why a university couldn't talk about its marketing programs in the same way that I talk about marketing. Yeah. It's hard work to co to coordinate because you need a content team that has a lead for audience growth. So they they know like what the overall mm -hmm. sort of vision is. Um, and then you need um, channel experts working in that team and, and feeding into the, the subject area experts in academic schools. And I say it here and it sounds like a blueprint you can just like put in place like that, but it's a, it's a very different way of, of thinking and I'm sure you're all aware of that as well. Definitely. Yes. And I liked how, you know, you were observing MIT's channel and I'd love to understand like, you know, what is kind of going on in, in the UK um, from, you said that that's something that they could adopt here in the UK. You, you don't see a school doing that properly. Um, you know, what are some different observations you see between the two the countries? I'd love to see the UK looking at more alternative models for education. In the US, I, I see all kinds of really interesting uh, models. So for instance, I see institutions emerging that are entirely driven by sponsorship from companies and brands. And the education is uh, top notch, but it's provided for free. So there's no tuition fee and students get to uh, get to study, speak to industry experts, and you know they, they leave with this, this knowledge and a good route into to industry. And in sure, I mean, there's some great examples in UK higher ed where you've got, we've got an institute called the Dyson Institute, right? And, uh, you know, this is a, a private corporation that started its own engineering school and it has a brilliant program and it's a very focused niche um, education offer. So there's, there's, there's plenty of stuff going on in the UK, but I'd love to see more education institutions like pop up that go right, you know, we can teach people, we can educate them for free, and we can do it in very close partnership with, with, uh, with business. The number one form of education, the alternative route to education for people who choose not to go to university is YouTube, <laughs> um, which is you know, <laughs> quite, quite interesting. You think, well, yeah, I mean, you know, if you can't, if you don't have the option and you want to learn specific skills, you can pretty much learn anything on YouTube. I mean, I've, I've seen videos on there of people performing like um, heart transplants and stuff like that. Now, I'm not saying you should learn that stuff from a YouTube video, but if you want to <laughs> learn it, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. If you want to learn it, it's there, you know, um, and well, I mean, what an amazing platform it is and it's adapting its offer for education providers. It's releasing um, ad-free players for, for universities. It's upgrading its analytics mm. so you can see how people move between videos rather than just the search terms they put in. It's, it's, uh, it's a giant, but it's, um, it's still innovating. And we all look at TikTok as like this, you know, incredible thing. And it is, don't get me wrong, but, but YouTube is far more versatile. And it's much more of a friend to um, higher ed for, for more purposes than I think TikTok will, will ever be. 
like high, higher intent because people are searching for a specific query on like how to do something right is that what you're saying i think so yeah i'm not saying TikTok's obviously updated its search functionality recently. It's increased the amount of description you can put around a video. Uh -huh. So you can, to, to an extent, you know, have an SEO strategy um, for, for TikTok if, if that's what you, you want to do. And I think a lot of social platforms are, are, are including that now as part of their offer. Because I think Google announced recently, didn't they, that was it 40% of Gen Z actually use social media for search. So... Um, it, it's just another thing we have to keep in mind, really. Um, and, and like SEO no longer is no longer limited to just the search engine results pages. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I think personally, I've I've seen Google search, just search specifically, definitely just queries decreasing, bids increasing, or yeah. cost per click. It, it's definitely not the only platform you should be advertising anymore no, no. if that's all you're doing. <laughs> yeah. And I think, uh, you know, gone are the days uh, of just having like search engine optimization as your, your core yeah. strategy now. And I've always felt like if you were just doing that one thing, it's a bit of a race to the bottom because you're just constantly competing on, on search terms rather than actual audience and rather than proper authority in, in the space that you're playing in. Um, Another question I had, again, about differences between the UK and the US is another similar topic to the enrollment cliff is around employee retention. So this is an internal issue, but, you know, are, there, are you seeing the same issues in the UK as well? Are you hearing the same issues? Um, I know it's a big problem here in the US. And so love to get your perspective on that too. It, it largely depends on how university responding post-pandemic uh, you can correlate the amount of people who go and search for new jobs with the institution that says, get back to your desk. Um, and I've seen examples of universities who have had a very harsh, uh, yeah, you're back in the office now. And I've seen examples where universities are quite forward thinking and go, well, actually, why don't we just work default remote and you can use the office space when you, you need to. And it's the last universities right. kind of lean into the flexibility and care about their staff's personal life as well as what they can add to the organization that tend to have less of a problem. Um, and I don't understand the thing things I, I don't understand. And I, I see this in a lot of university job ads that working remotely isn't accepted as like a default thing. And it sh totally should be. It's like, there's the option to work. The, the, that text is someone online that, there may be the option to work remotely. You'll have to apply for like your own sort of terms. I think you're not going to compete. You have to have this stuff as <laughs> default now. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. And we've all seen the merits of what remote work can deliver. I, I feel that if you're just focused on getting people in the office, you're, you're, you're limiting your talent pool as well. Because, you know, why would you just want to recruit from a... a you know, a local area when you could recruit the best talent from, from further afield, the forward thinking employers are actually leading into the trend of remote work. I'd love to learn a little bit more about your, your business as well. Education marketer. Um, sure. can you tell us a little bit more about that as well? Like why you started it, you know, what, what you're hoping to accomplish? I think it's, it's quite amazing. And I think our, our audience could benefit from learning about it. Well, for me, I was uh, an education marketer, um, just like everyone else, really. Um, and when the pandemic struck, I was overwhelmed. I couldn't keep up with stuff. I couldn't get a, a map in my own head. And I thought, wouldn't it be useful as a place that people like me could, to go to get like a, a digest of what's important? And it mm -hmm. didn't exist. 
And um, if, if it did exist, it was in the form of like standard newsletters that try and sell you a service afterwards, or it always felt like you're wading through something. I decided to start a, a free newsletter that was published um, uh, once per week, and it essentially gave up a digest for in digital content, marketing, media news, but from a higher education perspective. So not the sort of typical stuff you'd you'd get. And I started this and I sent it to um, uh, to eight friends on the first first edition. And, you know, now I have over half like the UK's universities like signed up and um, amazing getting more people coming from the from the US because um, a lot of like digital media is, as you know, it's, it's, it's kind of based in, in the US around content and mm-hmm. things like that. And that's where I speak and that's that's where I find my my high-read audience. And are most of the topics around uh, digital, what, what kind of topics do you cover? Is it like digital strategy, increasing enrollment? I mean, I, I, I mainly cover um, um, digital content and media, media news. So Amazing. my... You know, my lens as a content marketer, as a demand gen um, person, I, I look at the ways that, you know, marketers can take advantage of just get inspired to build their own media, media properties and, and build audiences, essentially, like I've done for my own business. But, you know, I see so much potential for higher ed to do that because I don't know any other sector that has so much knowledge and expertise focused in one area. And I look at, like, your your typical... Um, we've spoken about uh, Refine Labs in the past, haven't we? And, um, and Chris Walker, yep. he's doing. And I look at that model and I think, why isn't higher ed doing this? Because they have so many thought leaders. Um, and we know why they're not doing it, because there's a huge gap between taking that knowledge and converting it into a native right. and building community events and things. But I want that for higher ed. I, I want more higher ed institutions to learn that you know, when you do content marketing, the content marketing doesn't have to attract students. The content marketing itself can generate the revenue. Um, so it's bringing models like that and inspiring people and just kind of getting it in front of them and showing them the operations behind the well, how, how to run it. So I say it's higher, ed market, higher education marketing, and it is. I do talk about higher education marketing in general, but through that lens, because that's where I think the, the future of marketing is.